We're in Luke chapter 8. I only want to read uh, beginning at uh, verse 11. So I'm going to ask you to, when you find your place there, to stand with me and we'll just pick up from there. Jesus explaining what the parable is about. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word, with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Father, we come to you asking that you would open our hearts that, and open our ears, that we might hear your word. And today that we might better understand this parable, that we might live in uh, the truth of it and walk in the truth of it and rectify where we have been uh, not good listeners to you, not attentive to what you're saying and doing, and that you might course correct us and get us back on track where you want us to be for your glory and your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you as you're seated. We're so glad you're here, both uh, those of you who are on campus here, a great, great crowd, summer crowd here, and those of you who are online. Uh, we're grateful for you, and we know that God has something in store for every person. And so uh, expect, uh, if you haven't already heard from God, you're going to hear from God. I've heard from Him through the worship and through uh, the ministry of the Word to this point, and I know God has something great in store for us going ahead. We begin this series uh, on the parables as Jesus, you know, it's almost uh, always important, I think it is always important, uh, when we look at parables that Jesus taught to understand uh, the audience as, uh, as well. Uh, and so we have here a crowd, uh, crowds that have gathered at Jesus uh, to teach, to hear Jesus teach, and, and some were, had gathered because they thought he was the Messiah. But others had come together because they were simply curious. And it is true in our day that this often happens. We uh, have coined a term uh, around here we use occasionally, fans and followers. And, and that people come out of curiosity at times to learn more about what it means to be a Christian or who this Jesus is. And then there are those who are committed uh, to his lordship over their lives and are ready to, to take the steps forward. Jesus told the parable of the sower to distinguish uh, among this group and to let them uh, better understand uh, the difference between a genuine seeker and those who have, uh, you know, come to be superficial listeners. Uh, so Jesus, is, it begins this parable and, and it's, it's going to help them better understand that. And like those in the crowd, there, there are many today around us, maybe some even here online or on campus who have become disenchanted when Jesus' message doesn't match our objectives, when he doesn't do what we think he should be doing. 
And one of the warnings of the New Testament uh, about Jesus uh, is that uh, it has to do with the motives of those that are seeking him, and namely that those who seek Jesus only to have their own desires fulfilled always turn away disappointed. Jesus' parables uh, that he teaches fall really into two categories, and so the first uh, will bring us back to school, and the first uh, set of, of parables that Jesus teaches, or one of the sets of parables that he teaches, are similes. How many of you remember that from English class? Similes, okay? Um, so if you don't remember, a quick refresher is a, a simile is a, a figure of speech involving a comparison one thing to another thing uh, uh, that's a very different kind, and uh, it's used to, you know, as a description, kind of emphatic and vivid for us. Uh, you might remember Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a treasure found in a field. And, uh, you know, so, of course, the kingdom of God is not a field or a treasure, but the, the uh, simile is to talk about the wonder of finding Jesus in the world, a field that he describes as the world, and uh, us discovering Jesus is such a treasure uh, for all of us. And then, of course, the other part of uh, parables that Jesus taught were allegory, like what we're talking about today, a story, a poem, a, a picture that can be interpreted uh, to reveal some kind of a hidden meaning, typically a moral. And, and the one we have today, of course, is uh, the farmer who's gone out to, uh, you know, plant seed in his field, and all the things that can happen as a result of that. And, uh, you know, those seeds that will prosper and do well, and those that, that don't do so well. And what we have in, in this parable, uh, it, it, and in this allegory, uh, later as we examine, Jesus explains the meaning. But before he explains the meaning, I think it's, it's important for us to hear the pause right in the middle of it. He tells the parable... And he, and, he, and he interjects a powerful point of thought before he begins the explanation. Because the disciples were curious, what, what does this mean? You know, how do we apply this? Uh, what, what is the application here for our lives? And so it says it, in, in the text that when, he had, when Jesus had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, that is an important piece of this parable, because had he merely stated, everyone who has ears, listen and hear, that would have made sense to everybody. Everybody has ears. Uh, that would have been that. That's your teacher saying, hey, class, class, class. Uh, more modern day, they start some kind of a chant with the kids to get their attention again. One, two, three, eyes on me, you know, whatever it is. And that would have made sense to all of us, right? That Jesus would have said, hey, attention, listen, get your ears ready. I'm about to share with you what this means, and, and you need to listen and hear. But that's not what he said. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that is a repetitive phrase that we see throughout the New Testament calling us to listen and to hear, um, that, that we, would, we would hear and sense and know truths that Jesus is wanting to share with us. But Jesus qualifies here the listeners. He says those uh, that are here that have ears to hear are those uh, that, that are able to understand principles of the kingdom. Now, throughout Scripture, this phrase, ears to hear, is, is offered as a warning. 
We see it a lot uh, all the way uh, in, the, in the last book, in, in the book of Revelations, after addressing each of the churches, that repetitive phrase, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But also throughout the New Testament, we see it, Mark chapter 11, verse 15, Mark 4 and 9 and 23, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The big idea behind Jesus saying this and emphasizing it, uh, ears to hear, is that uh, hearing and ignoring is different from hearing and practicing, right? And uh, so it's Jesus is beginning to define those that are uh, in the kingdom and moving towards uh, God and in, in their relationship. He wants them to understand that, that uh, they, you're going to see them practicing what they are hearing and understanding. But those who are not, who are just for the show, who are fans, who uh, are at, standing at a distance, um, you will hear them, you know, you will see that they are ignoring what he is saying. James chapter 122 speaks of this when he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. If you've really heard something James is saying, then you are doing it. If you've really heard a kingdom principle and a truth. Uh, Philippians 4.9 speaks to it. What you have learned and received and heard and seen of me, practice these things and the God of peace be with you. It is what we are practicing in obedience that reveals what our ears are hearing spiritually. And that attentiveness, that listening, involves not only just the ears, but it involves our spirit, it involves our heart, opening up our minds to God to course correct what we want as the final objective and listening to what God wants. It is the nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done a moment for all of us. Now, the parable is this, he begins, the seed is the word of God. Many have been evangelized, but not all are saved. We are living in unprecedented times. I was speaking with uh, Lawrence this past week and uh, thinking through this uh, age of information that you and I live in. It's incredible. And among the many things that you and I can go and Google and discover and find out about, and we've used it for everything from repairing our cars and our dishwashers. And our, you know, uh, we, we've Googled all kinds of stuff. But I want you to think about it for a moment. In the age of information, there has never been um, the amount of information that there is for people about the gospel of Jesus Christ available at the fingertips. Millions upon millions of sermons are available presentations of the gospel in sermon, in testimony, in illustration, in song, in PDF files uh, have, have been readily available to everyone. It's, it's absolutely an unprecedented time for the gospel. And, and the Bible says, you know, that, um, you know, this gospel will be preached. It's talking about in the last days before Christ comes. It's going to be preached to the whole world. And we can hardly go anywhere that we don't see someone has a smartphone or access in some way uh, to uh, finding out what's going on worldwide through the Internet, through a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, a, you know, a... a uh, they have those uh, internet coffee bars and everywhere else that people will go and find and learn. And uh, there is tremendous access to the Word of God today. Our church in, in Phoenix uh, in, in 1997, we sent uh, 
a team of people carrying hidden Bibles in their clothing. One of the uh, people in our church um, that has made trips there uh, went to a lot of, of effort to sew inside clothings of the people that we sent as a team to China so they could carry hard copies of the Bible and put them all throughout their clothing and walk across from Hong Kong into China and carry the Word of God where it is not readily welcome. And yet now, people have access, even in China, to uh, the, the preaching of the gospel, and even censored. There are uh, routes and ways that they are able to get access to the Bible. It's, it's unprecedented times in the age of information. The Bible is, is now available in virtually every language. Uh, just by clicking, you can change the, the language. It's, it's available for free. Uh, the access is, is, is unprecedented. And so really, there are three questions I think that we want to look at. And the first one here, uh, as we look at this text, is in light of that, in light of the unprecedented uh, opportunity to learn about Jesus and the presentation of the gospel, why then is our world not saved? And the parable speaks to this. It says that those by the wayside are the ones who hear, and when the devil comes, he takes away the word from their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. It's interesting that section takes away that word there, uh, ario in, in the uh, Greek, often occurs in connection with the removal of people or physical objects. Take away the word. It literally removing the element of it so that uh, they return to their original state as if they had never heard the gospel message before. I've seen instances of this. i uh, give one personal testimony. I have a cousin who, um, his dad was a pastor, like my dad was a pastor, and, and we grew up together. We went to camps together, Sunday school. Uh, we all had the same kind of upbringing, the same kind of training, and uh, you know, uh, I, I remember him drifting away from God and falling into sin. And as, as a result of, of, of the sin of his life, uh, he wound up in prison. And I remember going to visit him. And I'm sitting across from him and I'm, I'm sharing the, the gospel again, afresh and anew. And I'm saying, you know, you might remember the story of, of Moses and and I started sharing this particular story, and he's like, I don't remember that. And I, I had a picture of as, as if the enemy had just come in and, and just snatched away the truths out of his heart and out of his life and out of his mind. And that I had before me a, 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 a blank slate to present the gospel to all over again. I'm grateful and thankful that he opened to the gospel of Jesus Christ and and uh, he, he's now, he's, he's out, he's, he's, a, uh, he's a follower of Jesus Christ, attends my brother's church, and God's done some incredible things in his life, miraculous things, and, it's, and I'm, I'm so overjoyed at what God has done. But it, I was taken back by that, and, and it brought better understanding for me to what this passage is really talking about, how the enemy can come in and steal what God has planted in hearts and lives. Now, the Hebrew word for the word is the word logos. 
And it, uh, in context, in this passage, it, remains, it really is talking about the enemy comes in and takes away divine revelation. Not just information, not analytical kinds of things, but he's, he's out to get the connection that you had with God, yeah. removal of the divine revelation of I am a sinner, Christ is my Savior, and, and I need him every hour and every moment of my life. Now, you might be asking, well, how is it possible the enemy can come in and steal divine revelation? Well, Paul explained the, to the church at Corinth what the enemy does uh, in, in the hearts and lives of unbelievers who fall away. He said, uh, he begins by saying, talking about himself and the church, we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. In other words, we're going to preach it uncompromised, no matter what people think about it. But <clears throat> by... The open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, he says it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, whose image, uh, who, who is the image of God. First question, why is the world not saved? There it is. The parable helps us better understand. The seed is not being nurtured. It is not developing. It is not putting down roots. It is not growing. It had moments of joy. It had moments of expression, and now uh, it's, it's wasted away. The second question, then, is why, why is the church community not moving in lockstep with obedience to God's Word? And I want to emphasize... <clears throat> the difference between the big C when I say church, because the big C is walking in lockstep with the Word of God. The big C, the church worldwide, those who completely belong to God and are following after Him. I'm talking now more about local communities and churches where uh, not everybody in the group is on the same page with what God is saying in His Word. Now, why is that? Why would everybody in the group not be on the same page? This parable points out really two primary reasons. The first one, uh, not rooted in the Word of God. He says, but the ones who, who on the rock are those who, uh, when they hear, receive the Word with joy, and these have no root, and they believe for a while, and in times of temptation they fall away. It is a, a sad picture of a good start and a bad finish. Receive the word with joy. Be, be overjoyed at, at the goodness of God and God's grace and mercy. Believe for a while, but then difficult times come, and we have all seen this in our life, challenges, uh, crisis, and maybe it even comes one after another, and people grow angry with God. They grow angry with, with, the, with the community for one reason or another. And the enemy always has a lot of success when he causes us to do what God doesn't want us to do. God wants us in family so we can be called to accountability, so that we can be loved on, so that we can be ministered to. The first thing we want to do when we start running into crisis and difficulty is go find a cave and hide, right? We want to isolate and be as far away from the church and the church family and everybody else as we can be. 
We say we're embarrassed. We say, you know, we're angry, we, whatever it is, and I just need some time alone. And uh, that is not coming from God. God doesn't want you to have any time alone. He said, I took the solitary and I set them in family. They're like, bummer, you know. I was, I was all by myself and all of a sudden you put me in family. And that's exactly the picture of what God does uh, in community. And he, he loves you so much, he doesn't want you alone. Second, uh, or Colossians uh, 2, uh, verses 6 and 7 speak to this. Therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. He says, we went through that whole series about walking, our walk in the Lord and what it looks like to be a believer. Rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The rooting uh, is so important because the winds of life, the, the cultural winds, everything is going to push against what God is saying. And we need to be anchored in it and say, I don't care if this is popular thought or unpopular thought. I'm going to believe God's word over anything else. I'm going to be anchored in that. Rooted, meaning strengthened and built up a firm foundation in Christ Jesus. Not, not moved by, by cultural opinions, musings of gurus, sages, or, or popular personalities. You know, I am anchored. You can say what you want. It's not pushing me uh, any direction but, but closer to Jesus. Committed to the truth of Scripture above all else. To stand in, in times of temptation. Uh, to be deeply rooted in God's Word no matter what has happened. Deeply anchored in the Lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives no matter how the storms are pushing back and forth. So that's the first thing about why the church is not walking in lockstep. But this parable also says there's another reason. Another reason why the, the church or community, little c, is often not walking in lockstep with the Word of God. It becomes lovers of this world, it says. Now the ones who fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, uh, go out and are choked with the cares, riches, pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. Cares, riches, pleasures, and it leads to no fruit. Uh, to no maturing in Christ. The Bible warns about this, uh, 1 John 2 and 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It is a challenge for us living in the world and, uh, you know, to, to make sure that God is prioritized and that we have not fallen in love with uh, things of the world that will cause us to be adrift from where God is calling us, from his purpose in our lives, from him being worshipped and enthroned in our lives as, as the only true God. And it is a challenge for every single one of us. The, uh, and, and so, you know, we, we, uh, we are tempted at times to, to love certain things and to get on board because it sounds right. You know, we can, we can get on board with something. And, you know, uh, I heard John MacArthur preaching about this not long ago. Uh, I concur with him. He was talking about, you know, becoming an environmental activist. I, I believe that Christians should lead the way in showing... Uh, we love the world that God has given us and taking care of it. But to jump on board and to, to have the pride to say, there is something, I can save this world. I can reduce my carbon footprint somehow or, and get everybody else to do it, and I will save the world. There's one Savior of the world. Yes, there is. 
But God's already judged the planet. And the world is not going to be saved. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, now this is no reason for you to go home and pour your trash out on the ground, right? <laughs> but God's already judged it. Read the book. It's going to be burned with fire. This world is going to be damaged and destroyed as a result of the sin of mankind. You start reading through the book of Revelation, you'll close it real quick. It gets very, very scary what's going to happen to this world, right? And so do not waste your time being an activist for what God has already judged. Take care, be a leader, show the way, you know, be an example. Don't be someone who, who is polluting the world because, hey, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going away anyway. You know, I'm just going to do my part to make it happen sooner. Do not do it. You know, lead the way in showing this is the planet our Father has given us. We appreciate it. We love it. But at the same time, balance that with an understanding. It's done. God's judged it. I went somewhere I didn't mean to go. All right. (laughs) Thank you, John MacArthur. (laughs) So let's talk about the last last passage here. It's really the maturity test, all right? How do we know that we are growing in Christ? How, how can we examine that the seed, the Word of God, is, is growing and maturing in us? We're growing as a believer and a follower of Christ. And he lays this out so beautifully. It says, But the one who's, who fell on the good ground are those who, ha- having heard the Word with a noble and good heart, keep it, bear fruit with patience. First of all, they heard. It, you know, that language there, they heard the Word... Um, out of the Greek, describes the act of hearing and listening uh, as as the person emphasizes, you know, an accurate understanding, a a, um, attentiveness to God that seeks an accurate understanding of the Word of God. The core meaning of that verb to hear, it occurs uh, mostly in the narrative context in in the Gospels of Acts uh, and, and in Revelation, hearing akeo, uh, is the primary means by which the people receive divine revelation. It is the engagement of all of me, God, and the divine revelation of I am God. It's, it's the moment of Peter, uh, you know, when, when Jesus asked, who, does the, who do they say that I am? And everybody goes, well, they, some say you're a prophet, some say you could be the Messiah, some say you're a pretty good speaker, you know, uh, some say, you know, that uh, you're a poor offering taker, whatever it was. Uh, they're going down the line and everybody's opinions and stuff like that. And he says, but really what's important is who do you say that I am? And divine revelation pops up. Here's you are, uh, you are the son of the living God. Yes. Yes. And it is that moment for us that we have crossed over into a, a, a depth of relationship with the Lord that we are ready then to produce fruit. The, the language there, noble uh, it's the word kalos, uh, indicating that that which is eventually flawless, morally good, or beautiful. And the picture here is that it's, uh, the heart is, is, of this person is, is good and noble, but it is so because they're, they're not perfect, but they're connected to perfection. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're not perfect, but we're connected to the perfect one. He's in us. Ears attentive, spirit you know, uh, ready for divine revelation. And they already have this up on the slides. Here it is, results of what happened that we can look and see we're a mature uh, believer. When we hear the word, we keep it. Yeah. 
We keep it. It means something to us. It's a value. I know people, I, I used to know a guy that uh, he could, on the back of the toothpaste thing, you know, it says uh, four out of five dentists recommend. He, he, could, he knew that by heart. He could read it. And it was because when he would go to the bathroom, he was looking for things to read. <laughs> and he, had, he had it memorized. He had kept it, right? And he could say it. It was a, it was a paragraph, you know, on the, on the back of this, this toothpaste thing. Uh, when you and I are connected, we're hearing it and we're keeping it, the Word of God. And then it says, as a result of it, we bear fruit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Help me out. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering. Are people seeing that in our lives? Are we bearing that fruit so that others are hungry for it and want that in their life? And then it says, the third thing there, he says, is, is with patience. With patience. How's your driving? <laughs> how, how, is, how is our heart uh, towards adversity, you know? And uh, maybe, you know, uh, in, uh, situations arise and call for us to exemplify patience. How's, it, how's that happening for us? Is that, is that looking good? It's a sign of us maturing and growing as a believer. Quickly, I'm going to walk you through the application points on this, and we're going to invite our worship team to come. The seed, again, he said, is the Word of God. And so the question then is, how's your Bible study? How's your Bible reading? How's, how much in love with this book are you? Um, is, this, is this something that is on the shelf as a, a resource book that's handy if you're discouraged or if you want to make a point with someone on the internet, they're all wrong and you want to correct them? Is that what this book is about? Or is, is, this, is this book something you love and it's providing life for you and you are reading it on, on a daily basis? How is your hearing when you're reading the Word of God? Has the enemy stolen the truth and convinced you that truth is relevant to circumstances, choices, and reason? Did you once receive the truth with joy, but you didn't put down deep roots and the storms of life have kind of blown you over? Perhaps you once heard the truths, but over time, priorities of life crept up and cares of life, and it's not that you are, you know, a rich person, but the pursuit of trying to take care of things and get things that you need or want uh, have, have, have gotten in front of your, your love for God, your priority for Him. 